Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. I'm Adol Kozilski. Good morning, Fagy. Good morning, Adol. Nice to see you again, and I'm super excited today because we're going to go and maybe tread into in, into water that, that people are discussing, but I think that bears more discussion, and that is what the post-COVID world looks like. There is a lot of um, discussion around um, how we how we handled how we handled the epidemic, how we the, the pandemic, how we uh, you know how we came out of it. What were the underlying causes that caused us to be sick? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And now there are certain conditions that we are suffering from that seem to be far more prevalent um, now. You know what I'm finding stuff. so amazing, Adel, is I think a lot of young people are also struggling, which I think is a new thing. And I think COVID really has um, made a lot of people, you know, struggle. So we are going to be bringing on to the show a, a favorite of ours, Dr. Riaz Matara. He has been uh, with us before, he's a cardiologist in South Africa. He has a specific interest in preventative cardiology and cardiac uh, endocrinology, and he's the pioneer behind the Women's Heart Clinic, the founder of the Cardio Group, and a very, very wise man. We are very excited to have you. Good morning, Dr. Matara. Morning, Adel. Morning, Fagy. Uh, Thanks for having me. Dr. Matara, let's let's talk about the post-COVID world. And what are the main issues that 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 you seem to see coming, you know, through your practice? And then maybe we can drill down and actually understand some of the conditions. There's a lot of uh, new words around pericarditis, myocarditis. I don't think any normal, you know, Jobu-based <clears throat> human being would ever mention those words. It only would have been a chat around, you know, the doctors, <laughs> the cardiologists would have discussed this condition. And um, you know, um, all sorts of things came out of the COVID pandemic, what have you been seeing in your practice? Right, so I think when we look at COVID, you need to look at it in two ways. One related specifically to uh, the virus and COVID and the effects of COVID and potentially the vaccines as well. And the other way to look at it is also what effect did all the lockdowns have and and the fear that you know that we had around uh, around the pandemic. What effect did that have on people? And what we're seeing is uh, you know mental health conditions, you know depression, anxiety, uh, you know financial uh, complications. People are struggling. Businesses closed. Uh, we're seeing massive amounts of stress post uh, this whole COVID pandemic. So let, let's let's talk about that that first because I think just before the show was coming on we were talking about the power of of the mind and emotion on our mm. physical well being. Um, is it is it is it right that that we can say that COVID uh, the pandemic triggered all of that and we we've been carrying it with us all the time? A trauma. Like 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 did we get traumatized from COVID or were, do did we have other traumas that we had before COVID, never addressed them and COVID was just, you know, the the the, the cherry on the top and just brought everything to the forefront. Absolutely. So I think COVID and what happened during the pandemic tipped the bucket over, as we were talking about uh earlier. There's quite an interesting concept 
called social epigenesis. Okay, so epigenetics, as you know, uh, these are the little light switches in our DNA that we switch on and switch off depending on the traumas and what, you know, that we get affected by uh, in our lives. And prior to COVID, we were already living in a stressed world. <clears throat> Excuse me, in a stressed environment, uh, people had lots of stress, financial stress, load shedding, crime, you know, financial stress, just so much going on. So there's the concept of individual epigenesis and then social epigenesis. So individually, it would mean if you were faced with a particular trauma, death of a family member, divorce, financial problems, crime, hijacking, and so on, that would affect you individually. So it may switch on light switch. It's going to give you cancer or a heart attack or a stroke uh, or something in your body. But there's also the concept of social epigenesis where as a society, as a global collective, we all got exposed to the same or similar traumas during the COVID pandemic. And that then has an effect not on us individually, but us as a society. So many people present with similar effects or outcomes post the COVID pandemic. And that's, I think, what we are currently seeing uh, in the world today. Okay. So then, like, obviously, then that, 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 that now brings it down to, into physical symptoms. Have you seen an increase in the amount of um, incidents, particularly because you're a cardiologist in the cardiology field? In the in, like, are, are people presenting being stressed <clears throat> far more now? Then they did maybe three years ago where they were dealing, as you were saying, with the individual stress. Absolutely. So we're starting to see uh, as a consequence of all these traumas and stresses, both physical and emotional um, and financial, we seeing people with newly diagnosed high blood pressure, people who do have high blood pressure, pressure uh, are uncontrolled. We're seeing more patients with irregular heart rhythms. And we've also had a number of patients present with what we call myopericarditis or inflammation of the heart and the sac of the heart. So we, and also younger patients presenting with premature, you know, heart disease like heart attacks, you know, so this shouldn't be happening at a young age, but it is. So, um, you know, we can discuss the reasons as to why we think that may be so. We're talking to Dr. Riaz Vataran. We welcome your questions or comments. Um, there's a lot to discuss about here. And yes, it's a discussion. Um, you know, one of the, the main thrusts of the Healthy You Wealthy show is to bring discussion to the table, to open up our minds, to, for us all to think a little bit more laterally um, and come to decisions ourselves. If you'd like to join this conversation, our uh, SMS line is 34519, and our telegram number is 061-895-1019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. Well, welcome back to the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. We're talking with, with Dr. Rias Matara. Um, and let's maybe zoom in now with cardiac problems. 
That's, I think, one of the, the, the biggest things that we've heard is this myocarditis, pericarditis. You, you, you joined the two words together. Can you give us like a medical definition of what, what the, how these conditions present themselves? And if I can add to that, why are we seeing it so much more in younger people these days? Right. So, look, myocarditis and pericarditis, itis at the end of the word means inflammation. So simply it's inflammation of the heart muscle or inflammation of the pericardium, which is the sac in which the heart sits. And that inflammation uh, can present in a very specific way. <clears throat> so we saw patients, the vast majority of patients, quite interestingly, that have been picked up uh, don't have any symptoms. You know, So it's there, it's silent, and you don't know that it's there. Some patients presented with uh, chest pain and shortness of breath. Many people found that their exercise tolerance uh, reduced, so they could run quite easily before, and now, you know, their heart rates are going up quite quickly with exercise, and they experience symptoms of feeling short of, of, of breath. And so a lot of the patients that we picked up uh, was picked up inadvertently if they had an ECG or if they had a sonar of their heart. Um, and then when you delve afterwards into their symptoms, many people then recognize the symptoms uh, of having inflammation around their heart. So um, you said that it was picked up inadvertently. Um, so like should every one of us always go for a scan to see that we 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 don't have inflammation? So I think for me, it has to work according to your symptoms. You know, I mean, if you're short of breath, if you've noticed a difference uh, in your exercise capacity, so what, what you could quite easily do before now makes you short of breath or gives you any pain in your chest. Remember the adage goes that all pain in your chest is your heart until proven otherwise. Okay. So for me, if you're concerned, you know, there are very simple tests that can be done today to detect if you have any problems with your heart. Would it also be dangerous then for someone to do like extreme exercise if they are having these types of chest pains? Yes, yeah, so that's quite interesting, Fadi. I mean, we, we've seen lots of young people collapse, you know, in a netball, on a netball court or on a soccer field or elite athletes uh, collapsing on the soccer field. And we don't know why that happened, but my, my, from, you know, so my understanding is what happens is people have this inflammation of the heart muscle or of the sac of the heart, and then they take their heart rate very high, 180, 200 beats per minute, and that puts too much strain on the heart, and then they collapse. Okay. Now, um, the interesting thing in the studies that we've looked at is that the inflammation affects the outer third of the heart muscle and the sac of the heart. So let me give you an indication of what's really going on. If you have two inflamed surfaces touching each other, generally they will attempt to heal through a scarring process and they will stick together. So what the body tries to do as a healing response is to make this fluid between the heart muscle and the sac, almost like a buffer. So imagine your heart in a balloon of water, maybe a centimeter or so of water, a fluid around the heart, and the heart's now contracting in a tighter sac. 
And when you're resting, generally you'll be okay. But the minute you start to take your heart rate up very high, that's when uh, the risk and the symptom uh, may present itself or the symptoms may present themselves. Um, another question is with people that are having these types of um, experiences and symptoms, would you suggest that they go and see a cardiologist or is it okay to just, you know, kind of say to their GP, oh, I'm just feeling a little bit of heart, you know, like a chest pain. Is it something that is like crucial to, to be tested for? Yes. So I would always start with your GP. Uh, you know, a GP can do a very simple test called an ECG. And if there is a problem, most of the times we can diagnose this on an ECG. And if that ECG is abnormal, then your GP may choose to uh, refer you for uh, further testing. How, how can, is there a cure, cure for it? Like, how do you treat it? What, what do you do with the inflammation? Right. So the inflammation can be treated. I think the key thing is identifying that it does exist. You can do uh, some blood tests as well, and you'll see that the inflammation levels or inflammation markers uh, may be elevated. And then the trick behind all of this is to treat that inflammatory process uh, around the heart. And we have been able to successfully treat it. So uh, it takes, depending on how, on the severity, sort of anywhere from six months to a year to uh, reverse the process of that inflammation around the heart. So it is a reversible condition. So it is treatable. You know, I think for me, I think the important thing to mention, Nadal, is that, you know, uh, in 23 years as a cardiologist, I may have had three, four, five patients maximum that we saw with a myopericarditis. This was not a common presentation in cardiology. You know, early on in the HIV epidemic, we used to see a lot of TB around the heart, but it presented very differently. Uh, the typical pericarditis and myocarditis that you get after a viral infection, and let me say it's not just COVID, but all viral infections, all flus, can potentially cause a myopericarditis as well. So um, we we never saw that many patients. So during COVID and post-COVID, uh, you know, as I said, those numbers actually went up significantly. So we're not sure of the long-term implications of what has happened because we just haven't had enough time yet to see, to, to, to understand that. But the important thing is that it can be managed and it can be treated quite easily and can be reversed. Well, that, that certainly is, is, is good news. I, I want to segue backwards because one of the, the things that I certainly, um, think about when, when, when I find myself in dis-ease, right? Something comes up is like, what are the chain reactions? What has brought me to this? I might have a headache. You know, it could be that because I'm sitting in the dark, but that's because of ESCOM and that's because of load shedding. And so let me find something to do with my stress as opposed to just say, I've got a headache and I need to take some tablets. I'm not saying that you mustn't take the tablets, but I think that one of the biggest discussions coming out of the post COVID era is that there was, there was a significant increase in the cardiological um, side. There was also an, an increase around diabetes and obesity. There, there were certain things that started screaming at us. And we can have a discussion. Did, did, did the vaccines trigger it more? Yes, no. But the bottom line is, is that I think for myself, and I stand to be corrected, and this is open discussion, 
COVID was a virus that attacked inflammation. And if you had inflammation in the body, then even if it was like silent at the time and you didn't know, you caught the virus. And just it, if, if you were susceptible, then boom, you know, it became a much larger discussion. And the question, first of all, is that correct? And then if yes, then the, dis- the, the discussion really needs to be about what are we do? What are we call? How are we causing inflammation in our body? Because it seems like inflammation is like silent killer that sits all over the place, and then you know we'll need certain triggers, and it will come out like far, far more forcefully in 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 like really horrible diseases. So that's such a fantastic question, uh, Edel. I think it, you know, with all illness, you always have to go back to the original why. You know why were some people completely asymptomatic or about 80% of people who caught COVID didn't even know they had COVID. Uh, and then some people got really ill and needed to be hospitalized and some people died. You know, why was there such a uh, difference? And ultimately, you're right, it boils down to the state of our immune system. So if you look at the vast majority of people who died during the COVID pandemic, these were people who were severely overweight. So people are consuming empty calories, okay, uh, no nutritional value, and their immune systems are weaker. So when they did get sick, okay, they had, uh, or the immune response tended to be more severe in those people. Elderly patients, people living with diabetes, people living with autoimmune conditions, um, were patients or people that tended to have uh, COVID more severe. Then there was also the genetic component that some people may have been more genetically prone to developing severe COVID. And I think, you know, we're beginning to understand some of these uh, issues now. But you're right, you know, 100%. You know, it's the state of your immune system that will ultimately determine what happens. Now, if you look at pre-COVID, it's the same reason why if you had 500 people in an office building, 200 people got the flu and 300 did not. You know, and the question is why, why not? Or why did that happen like that? And ultimately it boils down to the fact that when we are stressed, you know, if we are eating calorie poor or, or we're not eating micronutrient rich foods and our microbiome that we've discussed before, you know, is not functioning optimally, then we're more likely to get these viral infections. Well, you can get the viral infections, but it's going to be harder for your body to go and fight them. And Absolutely. Right? I mean, as, as you said, like some people got, got COVID and it was it was just the flu, and other people got COVID and it, it was fatal. You know, so it really is like backtracking and saying the immune system, you're talking a lot about eating healthily, obviously, you know, we advocate on the show over here to eat whole foods, vegetables, greens, like stay away from additives, preservatives, sugar, sugar, big, big, big sugar. Let's talk about sugar for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, you know, uh, there are many reasons why we have this chronic inflammation in our body. And generally, uh, there's a study that shows that in America, almost 70% of the population have this background low-grade inflammation from so many environmental reasons. You know, the amount of sugar that we consume, um, low micronutrients. Um, stress. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, all the stress, too much adrenaline in your body for too long will maintain and drive that inflammatory process. And the body is quite a remarkable thing. It will always attempt to seek a state of balance or what we call homeostasis. So it tries very hard to treat that inflammation and or to manage it and reduce it. So it's the healing response over a long period of time gone wrong that actually creates the sickness or the illness in our body. Does that also affect things? So when somebody comes and presents with, with you with, with, with high blood pressure, with, 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 um, heart, you know, heart problems, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, there is, I'm sure the, and, and cholesterol and all of these things, there are the, the standard allopathic remedies. You know, what is your, what is your viewpoint in, in guiding a patient to, to heal? You know, obviously there's some chronic things that you actually have to manage right now. You can't go and say, okay, we're going to wait six months for you to, you know, get all your cucumbers in. <laughs> but, but I think like in a, in, in a long term, um, I think I, I'm not sure that there is a, a, a fundamental understanding that every single medicine that you're taking has a side effect and that side effect has a side effect. And all we land up doing eventually is we have like a toolbox of, of medications that we run all the time trying to keep a system going. When in truth, we should really be looking back and saying, our bodies are able to heal themselves. And what can I do to facilitate that? But also, Adel, the same process is going to heal the autoimmune disease, that's going to heal the obesity, that's going to heal the diabetes. It's all the same process. So let's talk about that process. What are the ingredients for that process? Yeah, so again, you know, very important points that you've uh, raised. So look, firstly, the first point is that no medication or drug that we put into our system, whether it's natural or allopathic, um, will not have benefits and drawbacks. All of them will have some benefit, but will also potentially create side effects uh, in the body. The second thing is that as we age, our kidneys and our liver uh, has a reduced capacity to deal with multiple medications. So let me give you an indication. So we grow up until the age of 20. We then plateau up until the age of 28 to 30. But from the age of 30, we start to lose 1% of our organ function per year due to the aging process. So Which by the time... to 130. So by the time we get to 60, all of us roughly would have lost a third of our organ function through the aging process. Our body is still able to function normally, but we do age. So if you look at the people that are taking the most amount of medication, you know, it happens to be the older generation that are on long list of medication. And these medications may inter will have an effect, a positive interfect effect on the body, but they also interact with each other and can cause more side effects. So it's not that you don't need medication. I think the first step in everything is to understand why you are ill in the first place. What has caused the problem? Why do things affect us at particular points in our life and not two years earlier or five years later? The next step is then to look and say, well, what in my environment has triggered this? You know, am I eating, you know, too much sugar? Am I eating not enough vegetables and, and, and greens and so on? 
Am I stressed in my environment emotionally? Uh, what about my financial well-being? What about my family well-being? All of these things in my environment that may be triggering little light switches in my DNA to create the illness. And what can I do to uh, not just take a prescription of medication and hope for the best? Because it does help, but it doesn't create necessarily the cure. So you want to be able to understand your why. And having insight into what caused the problem is generally 50% of the cure. The remaining 50% is what are we going to do about it? How are we as doctors going to assist you on the journey to heal? Okay. So I think it takes a mind shift, very, very important mind shift in a modern world, uh, Fagi and Adel, that people need to say, well, okay, look, I'm going to see my doctor. My doctor is going to help me. I need to take this prescription. It's a means to an end. But what else do I need to do in my own life from a lifestyle change? And that's not just for three months, but a lifelong journey of healing and maintaining good and optimal health. So the, the, the discussion has shifted away from what we call wellness to one of well-being. And well-being is not just your physical well-being. It's also your emotional well-being. It's your financial well-being. It's your social environment and your friends and, and so on. So in your travel. So we have to start looking at our lives a little bit more holistically. And I definitely believe that the world is going that way. We now have the concept of functional medicine and we have functional practitioners that like whilst you, uh, Dr. Matara, is a cardiologist, you don't just come, you know, we don't just come to you to look at your heart. You actually look at the person as a whole. And it could be that, you know, one would present themselves with a, with, with a, with a, with a heart problem, but there's, there's a lot going on around the entire paradigm of the person that needs to be addressed. We're talking to Dr. Riaz Matara. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have a question for the doctor, the SMS line is 34516 or 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We are speaking to Dr. Riaz Matara. Um, and uh, one of the things, Dr., we were talking about before the show was that our emotional and mental spiritual well-being is vital. And I, I think for myself in my life, I'm finding out more and more that whilst, you know, we, we deal, we are physical people and we deal with our physical symptoms. And, you know, we have to do everything around that. I think that that's like maybe one quarter of our, of our, of our reality. And in truth, there's a much deeper, much more complicated reality. And that's like who we are as people. And you were talking about the idea of, um, what did you call it? Molecules of emotion. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit so that, that, you know, when we're looking at the paradigm of the person as a whole, we're actually understanding it's not the whole of just, you know, eat whole foods and, 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 and exercise and do all of those things which are fundamentally important, but there's something even greater that we need to take into account. Yeah. Again, another fascinating topic. Um, so, you know, every cell in our body is just a miniature you. So if you take a cell, the cell membrane would be your skin, the cytoskeleton is your bones, the cytoplasm is your blood, the endoplasmic reticulum is your gut. So every cell in our body just merely reflects what we are thinking and feeling. So if somebody said, 
you can see it in somebody's body posture and in the face. If they're elated, you see the opposite. If they're angry, you see that. Right? So our thoughts and our emotions are another critical component. It's not just diet and the air we breathe and the water we drink and so on, but probably more important than anything else. It's our thoughts and our feelings and our choices that we make in every single moment that also influences the that microbiome or the all the cells in our body and how they function. So uh, during COVID and uh, post-COVID and everything that went on with it, uh, people were faced with just so much, you know, fear, death uh, of family members. Am I, I don't want to go to a hospital because I may die. Uh, you know, I'm going to die from COVID. What about finances? Uh, you know, we had all this massive uncertainty in the last three or four years. And that has contributed to a lot of emotional trauma that most people tend to store in their yes. subconscious. But the body, again, is remarkable, okay, because it will still try to heal you. And all that anxiety is, as an example, is the body body's physical response to a stored fear in your subconscious. This is why you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning from your sleep with an anxiety attack. You're not thinking about anything anxious at the time. Where is that coming from? So I think for, for, for most people, there are many good people out there who, with good techniques and, and, and therapies that can assist people to deal with these past traumas. And, uh, you know, we, as you rightly say, we look at the physical manifestations of those emotional traumas and then we try and treat them, okay, to make people feel better symptomatically but we have not treated the cause of the underlying problem. You want to say something? <laughs> Dr. Matara, can I ask you about POTS and if that's also a symptom of the COVID um, pandemic? Just repeat that again, uh, Peggy. POTS, POTS syndrome, POTS of the POTS. heart. Yeah, so I think, no, I think that's, you know, that generally POTS syndrome will come from things like with, you know, with tuberculosis and so on. So I think for me, um, you know, if you look at post-pandemic, I mean, every system in our body got affected very differently. You know, the brain, the skin, uh, the heart, um, our nerves, our liver, our kidneys, every single organ system got affected in potentially in some way. And people present with differently. Not everybody's presenting with heart disease or with neurological complications. So I think for me, the key thing, Feige, is to understand that uh, there is a problem. Uh, if you do have symptoms and what people are terming long COVID, I think what long COVID is essentially all these symptoms that people are experiencing now. Uh, people have accepted that this is a reality and a real thing and that, you know, it can be managed and it can be treated and it can be reversed if you identify the problem and we accept that there's a problem. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, that again is a, is, is a very, very important part. You know what I was thinking when you were talking about um, the molecules of emotion? I guess maybe it's a bit of, of, of a fantasy, but again, today, the way modern medicine is working, 
Um, <laughs> it probably could be a reality one day. You mentioned, and I found fascinating because I've got a, a background in biochemistry and genetics. You're saying that the actual cell, the membrane of the cell is your skin and your, your mitochondria is this and, 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 you know, all the different parts of the cell. Imagine, would it be possible that one day, you know, doctors could take the cell, look at it and, and, and we'll see which parts of the cell are not functioning and know to connect it then to your, to, to your physical, to your physical organs. Meaning we're going to become like so, um, in tune, in tune, you know, it's, it's not going to be, Oh, you know, look, yeah, can you just do an ECG and look at my heart? I'm going to actually look at your cell and see what else is diseased in it. Absolutely. And I think it's all going to become genetic in, in the near future of where, you know, at any moment in your life, they'll be able to track all those epigenetic phenomena or light switches. And like you switch on a light switch to develop colon cancer or breast cancer, they will have or we will have mechanisms and treatments to be able to correct the code within our genetic, within our DNA. Okay. And this is why, for example, if you've got liver cancer, as an example, why don't we get a cure for it? You know, why doesn't the chemotherapy and the surgery and the radiotherapy work completely for all patients? It's because the light switch or the code for liver cancer is switched on in all the liver cells. So all the liver cells are now potentially cancerous cells. So the cure for Cancer, as an example, for heart disease, uh, for all these chronic conditions will eventually come from therapeutics that will help our DNA, help us fix our code in, you know, or the, the, these little light switches in our DNA. Obviously, it's very important. Remember, the saying is, you are what you eat. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, we have to go back to the way food is grown and produced. And are we getting the right nutrition and the micronutrients and the vitamins uh, and the right fats in the food that we are consuming in a modern world? And, you know, everybody's trying to heal the problem, I believe, from the wrong end. We should be looking at what we call primordial prevention and looking at us as a society and what we eat and don't eat and the traumas and the stresses that people are facing and that's where it needs to happen, and it needs to happen at a very young age. There should be well-being and wellness programs and, and, and nutritional programs at a young age in school already, and we don't learn that in our schools. I think that that's the most important, most important idea, and I think you've touched the fundamental, and that's education, is that perhaps just the way the world has developed, you know, life was tough. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't have a, we didn't have a chance to go and, you know, think about these things or look into these things. And thank God we've come to a place now where there is enough, um, enough physical comfort, enough, um, ability to take, take a step back and say, well, I'm not fighting a war now. You know, I don't have to go a hundred kilometers to go get some water. I don't have to like light my fire. I've got all the physical things. Now is the real time. To start healing, and I think that we're actually, um, it's like on the horizon that that modern medicine, in even five, ten years' time, just with the exponential growth, is going to be far greater than than uh, you know when we uh, than than we had for the last hundred or hundred and fifty years. This is one hundred one point nine high FM. 
This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Dr. Matara, we have just a couple of minutes. What would you What would you like to leave as a seminal idea to to our listeners, um, just in terms of dealing with the realities of this post COVID world in all its aspects? Yeah, so I think, Peggy, I think we need to take stock of where we are right now in this moment in the world. The world, I think, for many people has become an extremely stressful place. There's just so much going on, right? And and all of these environmental factors, uh, be it politics, war, uh, financial uh, difficulties, uh, pandemics, Water insecurity, food insecurity, climate change, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and, and the electricity insecurity. Absolutely. <laughs> Blackout. <laughs> all of it put together, you know, and yes. we can either get caught up in all the negativity or we can go within. You know, the first port of call is to look inward and ask yourself, look, you know, what am I fearing? You know, what am I anxious about? And then what can I do about it? Where can I seek help uh, to uh, give me the tools to become more resilient, you know, in a, in a very stressful world? So we can either, as I said, get caught up in all that negativity and then it's a negative spiral and downward spiral and we get ill or we struggle and we suffer. Or we can choose, make a different choice right in this moment to say, well, look, you know what? How do I become more resilient? What books do I read? Or who do I listen to? Or who do I go to that can guide that process to create greater resilience and and to think of solutions to all the problems that we are facing? And it starts off, I believe, individually within ourselves first, and then it can extend to our families, and then it can become a community thing, and then it becomes a national thing. So I think for me... In a modern world where there's just so much, go within, ask the right questions of yourself. And it's not about eating green 100% of the time. You know, if you feel like having a piece of cake, have the cake and get the joy from eating it. But you can't eat cake every single day, you know. So I think it's creating the balance within our lives and understanding that, you know, uh, it's not an easy journey. But there is help and there are tools and there are processes uh, that we can do it. So invest in yourself. Invest in your own emotional and physical growth okay, and spiritual growth. And you'll find that the world can be a very different place. There you've got it. Very, very wise words. And I think I'd, I would love to put that up, up in neon lights. It's about resilience. But it's about taking responsibility for yourself, and really, that is the thrust of the Healthy You Wealthy show. Because when you're healthy, you're very wealthy. You actually can experience life in the fullest. Thank you so much for your your time, your expertise, and most importantly, your incredible wisdom. And uh, we hope that that has motivated all of you who have listened today. That we all can make change. That change is available. So don't be reactive. Be proactive. And uh, stay tuned. We, uh, uh, um, Peggy and I run a WhatsApp group. We drop something healthy every single day. Um, if you'd like to join that, you can just send an email to info at highfm.com with your name and your cell phone number. We will gladly join you. And once again, thank you, Dr. Matara, and thank you, Peggy. Thank you, Adol. Thank you, Dr. Matara. Have a great day.
Thanks very much and thank you for having me.